This is Sheffield Live. We're open for business life. As an organisation, we're not just here to continue to deliver the status quo. Hello and welcome to episode 387 of Business Live here on Sheffield Live FM Radio, online, DAB and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jamie Veach. You have just heard the voice of today's guest, Naomi Holston. Naomi is the Chief Executive of Catch22 and when we recorded this podcast she'd been in that role for just over six months after a 21-year career at the organisation during which she'd done pretty much every role. That gave her valuable insights as a leader, as a manager and Naomi talks about fostering an intentional culture in this episode which includes honest tips about accountability, transparency culture and leadership, which anyone running a social enterprise or indeed running a charity, running a purpose-driven organisation will find valuable. Naomi talks too about changing ways of working and about making the impossible possible. We've seen how that was possible in the pandemic, but it shouldn't be only in times of crisis that we do that. There's plenty to chew on in this episode about collaboration, about partnership and about putting a people-centred culture at the heart of what you do in public service delivery. And there's even an amazing story about the Rolling Stones. I recorded this interview for the Vitalising Purpose podcast. It's so good. Naomi is so interesting. We just had to put it here on Sheffield Live's Business Live programme for curious entrepreneurs and social entrepreneurs. Let's hear from Naomi now. We're open for Business Live. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Um, so Catch-22 is a social business. It's a not-for-profit business with a social mission. We've been around for about 200 years, and we design and deliver services that build resilience and aspiration in people and communities. Kind of consider ourselves a business with the heart of a charity and a bit of a mindset of the business. Charity's heart, business's mindset, and delivering services that support people. What sorts of services do you, do you deliver then, and, and to whom? Um, so we deliver quite a wide variety of different services across the um, UK, predominantly in England and Wales. Um, and we deliver those particularly public sector um, services and contracts. And we support a wide range of people. Some of those services include services for people who are coming out of probation, so justice services, education services through alternative provision schools. And we also deliver a large range of support to vulnerable young people, children and families. Um, so we've got quite a wide portfolio of work, Jamie. And you yourself, Naomi, you're relatively new as the chief exec, but not new to the organisation. Can you talk talk to us a little bit about your career there? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I've been chief exec at Catch-22 now for about six months, an opportunity um, that I feel extremely privileged to be able to um, undertake. But I've been around in the organisation for about 21 years now. Um, I started my career as a volunteer in um, homework clubs, actually, in estate-based homework clubs in Elephant and Castle right, in yeah. 2000. And I've worked in quite a variety of different organisations, um, public sector, uh, particularly youth vending teams, youth services, and then really just focused in on um, delivering services within Catch-22 and just pretty much had every single role in the organisation from you know volunteer, project worker, coordinator, manager, right up to now, I should say, chief exec. Um, A part of that journey, I also spent quite a lot of time working in our business development function, where I had the opportunity to work with a wide variety of corporate organisations, private sector organisations, to really understand some of the principles of leadership, management, and uh, service design, and uh, systems thinking, strategy, etc. So yeah, I've been around quite a long time, but I definitely feel that 
Um, this is a fantastic role and a fantastic opportunity. I'm really excited to be here. Brilliant. How valuable it must be for the organisation to be led by a chief exec who's done pretty much everything there is to do across different roles in the organisation. What insight that must must give. You mentioned Catch-22 has been around in some form or another for around 200 years. So the organisation has this very long track record of of working with people. How, how has this evolved? Absolutely great question, Jamie, because, you know, sometimes it's really good to reflect on, you know, where you've come from to know where you're going. Um, and, you know, obviously our previous chief exec um, would obviously tell the story of the organisation in his own way. And I've had an opportunity to really think about that. And when I've looked back at the history of the organisation and I've lived the history of the organisation, obviously through those roles, um, what's been really clear to me is always been the kind of combination of the different sectors that exist within the UK coming together to deliver um, an organisation like Catch-22. So, you know, the story is around 200 years ago in 1788, um, a guy called Frederick Rayner um, created the Royal Philanthropic Society to deliver support for people who um, were vulnerable and who were unable to access services and essentially were sitting outside um, courthouses waiting for um, support to be provided for them as a result of you know being involved in the criminal justice system and that evolved over the years for the organization um, identifying ways to encourage uh, corporate organizations or philanthropists to donate and give money into the organization so you know the royal philanthropic society was the history and that evolved over the years to become you know, Catch-22, some key kind of features of that was the merger of Rayner as an organisation, which I believe came around in about the 40s. Mm. Um, I'm concerned in 2008, um, Rayner was very much a uh, social uh, care-based part of the organisation and crime concern very much focused on public safety and community safety um, and uh, essentially uh, often competed against each other for the delivery of contracts or grants etc and the chairman and the chairwoman of both of those organisations at the time came together and said you know rather than competing against each other why don't we join forces and create a new organisation and that's where Catch-22 came from in 2008 um, and I think that was quite revolutionary at that time as well because you know, we often see in our sector organisations competing against each other to deliver services when actually they should be doing more to join up um, and deliver services collectively. Yes. So I think then, yeah, that was quite revolutionary. And then between 2008 and now, the development of the organisation really has been focused on, you know, what is our end game? Why are we here? What are we, what are we doing? What are we um, supposed to be achieving as a charitable organisation? There's lots of, you know, schools of thought out there that say charity should be aiming to not exist. And, you know, that may potentially be true, but the times and the societies that we live in and what we've seen continuously throughout history is that people will always need a level of support at some point in their lives. Um, so why can't organisations like us, you know, be there to deliver that? And because of that, we've had to evolve as an organisation to recognise and reflect the fact that charities, social enterprises, social businesses are changing. So we wanted to model ourselves a bit more as a social business in that we will always deliver services for people who are vulnerable. Uh, we'll always aim to build resilience and aspiration in communities. But we want to do that in the most kind of smartest, efficient and economic way. And that's where the kind of a heart of a charity and the mindset of the business has come from. So over the past 10 years, we've been really focusing in on that and focusing on our reform agenda, which 
really is about encouraging all kinds of organisations, particularly public sector organisations, to continue to evolve to deliver better services for citizens. Um, so that's been the focus over the past couple of years, Jamie. Brilliant. Thank you for, for that. That's really comprehensive. And Naomi, earlier on, you mentioned that in some of your previous roles before taking on the, the CEO role, you were working in business development, you were working in collaboration with partners to Catch-22, partners in the private sector, for example, corporate partners. I, I guess that has given you an oversight of different cultures in different types of organisation. And I know in the the E3M book about Social, mature social enterprise, delivering public services. You talk specifically in your essay about organisational culture and you talk about how social enterprises and many charities, of course, have a, a real people-centred culture. What, what do you mean when you talk about a people-centred cu- culture? What does that look like in practice and in practical terms for for people who work there? That's such a great question, Jamie. And I think, you know, the, the reflection back to the work with a wide variety of different types of organisation really helps set the, the context in in that. So, you know, through working with some of the corporate organisations, for example, you notice that they're very highly driven, performance target-led organisations, a very fast-paced, um, speed kind of culture. Whereas, you know, my experience in the kind of third sector or the charity sector is that, you know, whilst they deliver great impacts and deliver great work, it's not necessarily always dri- driven or led by a performance-related culture. And, you know, wrongly or rightly, those things have added to the culture of organisations um, historically. But in terms of the unique kind of connection to that is, you know, as an organisation, we learned that the richness of the contribution that the knowledge of our individual people can make into the organisation is extremely valuable. So a good example is um, in September uh, last year, 2022, we launched our new strategic plan. And that strategic plan was built up over an 18-month period, which some people might say is quite a long process. But the point of that really was to hear from all of our staff up and down and around the organization what their views are, what they think, what they feel about how the organization should evolve and shape itself over the next three years. And by doing that, we not only enabled people to feel like they had a stake in the organization, we was, we received such a rich, wider breadth of comprehensive information to help us inform where the organization should be going. Um, and without doing that exercise, we wouldn't have had that information. The flip side to that is that people now feel included. They feel involved. They feel engaged. They feel yes. like they have a genuine stake. They feel happier in their work. They want to be here. They feel like they're able to express their wishes. Um, and I think... When you operate from a leadership perspective without galvanizing that and without connecting that, how can you truly say that your organization is connected to its people? How can you truly say that it's reflective of its people? And how do you actually get the best out of your people if you if you don't hear from them or you don't understand their context? So this has the purpose of enabling the organization to fulfill its potential and fulfill its potential for the people that you serve as well and enabling your people presumably to, to you, you mentioned, feel included, be included, truly included in terms of um, feel that what they say makes a difference and presumably reach their potential in the organisation as well. 
Absolutely. Um, a few years ago, I heard one a, a senior leader in a in a company refer to her staff. Um, it's actually a public sector organisation. I won't name names, but referred to her staff as minions. And wow. like that is is so demoralising to people. And when we look around us to see, you know, why are people not necessarily reaching their potential, they're not performing in the way that we want, or you know, they're not necessarily coming to the table to express their ideas and their creativity. You know, we have to step back and look at why that is. You know, is that because of the choice of our language? Is that because we don't include them? Is that because we don't engage them? Or because we have hierarchies which um, create a kind of culture of fear? And by doing that, essentially, I feel like our organisation would have lost out on so much rich information that we wouldn't have had before. Um, and we wouldn't necessarily have the spirit that we have, I think. So I think it's really important to be intentional about, you know, the culture that you have in your organisation and how as senior leadership, essentially, we really are, you know, not able to fully fulfil our functions and duties without taking that kind of approach. Yes, absolutely. Can you give us any other tips or insights that organisations can use in terms of how to truly and intentionally engage, involve, support and develop their people? Things that you found have been working really well. Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, it's not easy, first and foremost. So I wouldn't, I would encourage all kind of leaders to, you know, not beat themselves up about this. This, this, this is something that I think is, you need to build up over time and work and continually chip away at and continually work on so that it becomes the norm and it becomes the culture. But a couple of key things that we've done that I think have really made the difference is um, we've opened ourselves up on a monthly basis to the wider organization through um, webinars to what we call um, the chief officers Q&A questions and answers so you know whatever your senior leadership team is in the organization opening that group up to the wider organization um, just to take questions and answer questions so sometimes people will put questions in the chat uh, anonymously sometimes they just ask us outright but what it does is it and it shows people that we're accessible and that we're open to any conversation and we're open to any discussion and I think that single-handedly is in encourage the workforce to recognize that we want to hear from them we want to hear their genuine authentic voices and that no question is a stupid question or no question is frowned on um, and that actually if they're not that confident then ask it anonymously and we won't judge you for that so that was one of the key initiatives we implemented another key area i think is you know is to is to get out and be in and around your people um, we talk about open door policies and open desk policies, um, but that for me, you know, is is has got many caveats to it. Um, get alongside your people, work alongside them, deliver their services with them. The McAllister uh, Care Review in that was launched in the middle of the year indicated that ch- leaders in uh, children's social care should make themselves accessible and available to be working on casework on a day-to-day basis. We do that regularly in Catch-22 by getting out and being in our services. You know, I see many leaders do that. So I'd encourage leaders to actually deliver some of the work still and not just see yourselves as leaders and, and as executives. But remember yes. that your practitioners first. Um, and I think the other way is giving back that feedback so we have now launched something we do on a quarterly basis, which is called a transparency report. And this is not like pages and pages of, you know, this is what we've done. This is what we haven't done. This is just some key highlights about the key actions that we're taking as leaders to respond to the challenges that the organization has proposed to us. So we listen, we listen, we hear what the concerns are. And then on a quarterly basis, we respond to the organization and 
the transparency report, a couple of pages saying what we've done and what we're going to do, um, and enable the organisations have access to as much of the organisation's information as possible. That's brilliant. I mean, three really specific, practical ideas there. And on the webinar side, I was very interested in the fact that you then said, you know, people can people can submit questions anonymously if they want to. And then the transparency report at the end there, it sounds like a valuable document. Is it the kind of document where you will say, we're very good at this, and actually we as an organisation know that we would like to do this or that better? Is, you know, is it that that's honest? Yeah, so it's got a couple of features to it. One is obviously an update on how we're doing against the strategic plan, so holding mm. us to account. Um, and another kind of feature of it is the kind of you said, we did. Yeah. Um, so we do pulse surveys across the organisation. And in some of our services, you know, we work with quite high-risk, um, volatile, vulnerable service users. And, and the safety is an issue, you know. So people will say to us, you know, we don't always necessarily feel safe. So it's like, okay, well, what are we going to do about that? It's massively important that we address that. So it will be something like that where we'll say, you said you didn't feel safe and this is what we did. So we use the kind of you said we did approach yes. um, to that. And then what tends to happen is after the transparency report is released, we will have a Q&A session with the time and we have it once a month. And then people will ask questions on it. So it's that continuous feedback loop, you know, and people are able to scrutinise, challenge um, and ask questions. And as a leader, don't get me wrong, Jamie, it was a bit horrifying getting on, you know, a webinar and having any random question um, thrown at us as a leadership team. But actually, we got used to it and now we really enjoy it and people are really sensible of it and they use it really, really well. Um, so it is really just making sure you have those continuous loops of enabling people to communicate and then feeding back and not dismissing and discarding what they're saying or pushing it into a drawer to look at in, you know, 2025 type thing. Valuable stuff there, Manny. Thank you. When it comes to working with commissioners, when it comes to working with partners who have commissioned Catch-22 to deliver services, um, what if if you can wave a magic wand and uh, make uh, make any sort of behavioural or policy changes in terms of how things happen at the moment for charities and social enterprises that work with public sector partners? You know, what if anything would you like to see change? Such a great question, and I think you know there's quite a bit of this um, in the um, essay that I wrote, um, and I think that you know just reflecting back on that really, I think one of the things about the pandemic was fascinating to see how all kinds of organisations were able to adapt and evolve um, to, you know, a, a very, very real like current issue and that emerging challenge that we faced. And what it really highlighted to me as somebody who's worked in this sector for that long is that actually all of the rigidity that actually exists within the structures of contracting, grants, ways of working, um, Yes, they may be there for particular reasons, but they don't necessarily always have to be. And there's been many examples where, as an organization, we've evolved as a, a service or we've created an innovation for a service or we've done something that we think will enhance the service. And commissioners have essentially said, no, thank you. And we know that by, you know, that evolution, sometimes not even for additional financial um, requirements just within the existing service will make the whole service better and will deliver better outcomes for the people who are using the service. Um, so I think the key really is I'd like commissioners to think about what, what genuinely are the flexibilities that are available, you know, 
how they may be acting in a way that's quite rigid, how they potentially are uh, reducing the value that the services that they commission to deliver by not being flexible, by not um, finding new ways to evolve and deliver the services. And when providers come to you and say that they have a new kind of uh, evolution or an idea or a new way to deliver the service, you know, really listen and get involved and Think about ways that you can help move the dial on that um, rather than revert to the computer says no because of is something that's always been delivered that way or because they're perceived to have some kind of regulatory or legal barriers to be able to do that. If those legal and regulatory barriers can be amended and adapted like we saw in the pandemic, then we should be doing that um, all the time to make sure that the delivery that we're here to do is 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 evolving and is better for our service users. Um, it doesn't make sense that we hide behind some of those things. So I'd like to see more flexibility, more focus on reducing barriers and rigidity to evolution of delivery of services, and commissioners collaborating more with providers on a genuine basis to evolve services rather than a kind of subservient you know, we're the commissioner, you're the provider, you'll do what we say. Absolutely. Brilliant. I mean, that flexibility, so valuable, so valued, recognised as such during the pandemic, needed forever, really, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Naomi, that's been fascinating. I'd love to finish, um, if I may, by just asking you a, a, a point of real interest in terms of one of the many, many ways in which Catch-22 supports young people is through the provision in in London of a recording studio, which you were telling me before we started started, um, recording this podcast. So so what's the studio that that you have and how did that come to pass? How did did it come to be? Such a great story, um, Jamie. Um, And I think it's very pertinent considering we're recording a podcast today. But um, there's a fully kind of funded um, recording studio down in Cannon Town that belongs to um, one of our group organisations, Community Links. Um, so a few years ago, I think it, just before the pandemic, Community Links received a donation from the Rolling Stones, which obviously is, you know, in itself is like a fantastic, um, yeah. but was very prestige in terms of the, you know, music hall of fame. Um, they delivered a con- concert at the Excel Centre and they gave the proceeds for the ticket sales to Community Links to develop that state-of-the-art studio. And what we've done is we've not only built the studio there in an old, awesome building, which has got amazing acoustics, we've also built into it a programme to support young people to develop the kind of key skills in digital media, digital skills and music production to enable them to attend and participate um, in the courses which are going to help them move into the workforce. So essentially, it's really like a career development opportunity and young people participate in our college there. They learn those skills and then the idea is that they move on to further education training or roles within organisations wherever they have digital media or communications or digital skills-based teams. The majority of organisations now, you know, Catch-22, EY, public sector organisations, a lot of them have comms and media teams. So we should be supporting our young people to be able to move into those jobs in the future by giving them the skills that they need to do that. And as part of that, that's where the studio comes in. 
alongside having the opportunity to do digital skills, they can also learn to build podcasts and things like that, like what you're doing today. So that's very much part of our digital skills agenda, our youth unemployment agenda, and then also utilising popular culture um, and modern tools that young people are interested in to help them secure work for the future. Lovely. That's a fantastic, wonderful story. And you're so right as well in terms of the the vital skills, these vital, useful skills that, um, that open new opportunities for, for many young people as well. Brilliant. Absolutely. So it's called Links Media College, Jamie. So if anybody wants to check it out, please feel free. Lovely. Thank you for that. Naomi, is there anything else that you want to tell us um, in the constraints that we have uh, time-wise about Catch-22, how it delivers services and what you've learned as, as, a, as a leader since taking over as CEO or what you've learned in terms of in the organisation in your 21-year career there? That's such a great question and wow, there's so much to say. But I guess I'd summarise it to say that, you know, as an organisation, we're not just here to continue to deliver the status quo and I know that that's very much E3M's agenda as well. It's to continue to find ways to evolve what we do and to also reflect and represent the fact that there are a wide variety of organizations in this country with different structures that are enabled to do that so you know one of the key messages would be you know how can we all come together collectively and collaboratively to deliver better services for people who need them but the particular emphasis on you know this is not just about charities or social enterprises or even public sector um, delivering services. This is about how can corporate sectors be involved and how can all kinds of organisations that are delivering business, whether that's charitable business or, you know, for-profit business, really look at how they can utilise culture and the culture of their organisations to not just improve the lives of their workforces or the lives of the people they support, but, you know, wider society more generally. But I think we're at a time in our lives where we have to look at, you know, whether business is social, whether social is business and how we're making sure that all of the things that we do contribute to a better world for all of us, not just from a social perspective, but from an economic perspective and an environment perspective, Jamie. And as leaders in organisations, we have a unique opportunity at this point to be more intentional about our business. Um, and, you know, organisational culture is, is very much key to that. It really is. Well, that's been absolutely fascinating, Naomi. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find out more about Catch-22? Um, so there's quite a few places. First thing is you can find us on our website, www.catch22-org.uk. We're on LinkedIn. We are on Twitter. We're on uh, Instagram. Um, and if you go to any of those platforms, you'll also be able to find, you know, who the leaders are of the organisation or um, any particular part of the organisation that you want to know a bit more about or be involved in. We also have our own podcast called Catch 22 Minutes. Um, you can find the link to that on our website and also on our uh, LinkedIn and Instagram pages. And we will put all these links, including the link to the website, link to socials, link to your podcast in the podcast show notes for this uh, episode as well. So, Naomi Hilston, thanks ever so much for talking with us on the podcast today. Thank you, Jamie. It's been great. Speak soon. Sheffield Live. Made in Sheffield. Made by you.